My name is Sam Ross. This is the brother at the bar on Instagram. This is for the guy with the hoodie and the Air Force Ones. I'm like, yo, this is like some cool shit. Guess what? That's when the conversation started to happen. This is Pass the Drink Podcast. This is Sam Ross, the brother at the bar on Instagram, host of Pass the Drink Podcast. This is the Bluff City 901 Shelby Drive. What a time to be alive. Memphis edition. Bluff City with all the bridges and across the Mississippi River. I'm going to be talking to big river distillery makers of Riverset Rye. I'm going to be talking about that Blue Note bourbon. And we're going to take it down to Wiseacre and talk about that new tap room they have with that crazy cuckoo clock. I got the president and CEO, Macaulay Williams, a recovering lawyer. That is funny to hear, a recovering lawyer. What's up, Macaulay? This is brother at the bar, Sam Ross, Pass the Drink Podcast. Hey, guys. How are y'all? Thanks for having me on. We're doing great. Uh, I I am a fan of your brand. I am. And you know what brought me to a fan of your brand? It, it was your great spirits but i'm a blogger and as uh-huh. you and you may not be able to tell but i'm a six foot one tall drink of water that happens to be african-american and i noticed that you guys had an african-american young man that you were teaching the distilling business to and that what i made me attracted to your business plus i love the city of memphis i love the bluff city uh can you want to tell me about uh your black distiller and just tell me all about your uh, company macaulay uh yeah so uh we're based in memphis tennessee uh we're just north of downtown along the banks of the mighty mississippi river um in an industrial area but it's pretty cool to bring back uh jobs to an area uh, that has seen a lot of uh manufacturing jobs move out of our little area just north of downtown um we produce two products blue note bourbon and river set rye blue note bourbon is named after the memphis blues and river set rye features a riverboat and uh, is named after the fact that memphis is set along the river and kind of pays homage to the fact that the river was how they used to move barrels of whiskey back in the early whiskey trade before riverboat and before uh railroads and interstate systems existed. Uh, we have 12 employees now. We started from nothing. Um, now we have 12 employees and distribute our products in eight states, uh, with New York being our ninth state coming up. Um, really excited about that. You want to name those um, states for us? Yeah, you can find Blue Note and Riverset anywhere in Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kansas, Colorado or Illinois and soon we'll be in New York. So everybody listening, Illinois. That's all. Yeah, Illinois's been great for yeah. us, obviously with Chicago being such a large uh metropolitan area and a, a, a city that has really deep ties to the whiskey industry and spirits industry overall. So it's been a great market to be in. Chicago and Memphis has a great uh, history as far as the civil rights um museum that's down there in memphis and just uh the the civil rights movement that 
A lot of people from Chicago went down to Memphis and Memphis and that. And I learned that down in Memphis. You guys have that river is, is just an attraction. Uh, anyone in Memphis or traveling to Memphis, take the Mississippi River Tour. You'll learn so much. Uh, so your Mississippi River boat is on your river set ride. It is 93 proof, small batch ride. And I must say it's unfiltered. And the flavors I got out of it when I sipped it, it was like green apple and allspice and fresh cinnamon. Like, uh, am I describing it right? I'm not a total. That's right. You know, so first off, taste is subjective, right? So everybody's going to get slightly different notes. But those are the exact notes that I get with River Set. It's going to be a little more approachable than your average rye whiskey in that it's a little smoother. And then our flavor profile is a little different. You hit the nail on the head. I get a lot of green apple, cinnamon, allspice, vanilla, and oak. Whereas a lot of ryes tend to lean a little mint forward. There's a minty note. We don't have that in ours, so that makes ours stand out. I have my brother Jay West, uh, co-creator of Harold's 83 Honey Ale on, and we uh, he's a whiskey guy. He prides himself in it. So I say, uh, I, I got a spot or a rye. And I was like, you drink rye? And he said, man, I drink whiskey. And came on and poured him up. And you should have saw his face. It was, ooh, this is so smooth. So we're impressed with it. Uh, Like you say, it's been aged for four years. It's 93. It's unfiltered. It's a great rye. What uh, what cocktails uh, have you heard that it goes great with? Yeah, so, well, it goes great in the classics, your old-fashioned Manhattan, but we also really love what we call a Memphis mule. Super simple. It's a play on the Moscow mule. It's just river set, rye, ginger beer, and a lime. Um, something about that kind of cinnamon allspice and apple note in the rye whiskey pairs really great with ginger beer, uh, which is perfect for a nice hot July summer day. Oh, yeah, that river set mule is amazing. I've created some myself and like you say it's quick simple cocktail with that good river set rye whiskey don't be afraid of whiskey um well the rye whiskey definitely this one this one is definitely approachable but let's get to like the star of the show to me the blue <laughs> <laughs> the blue note the blue note bourbon the juke joint crafted in memphis Aged about three years, right outside the Mississippi River. It's unfiltered. It's ninety-three proof. It's a small batch bourbon. Um, when I took it, when I stuck my long nose into that glass and took a nice smell, some like sweet corn and like not quite apple, but like pear and a and a. And, and I got that allspice as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so Riverset's great, I ride, but Blue Note Bourbon is the star of the show when it comes to our whiskey products. I'm glad you yeah, said named it, after, not me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, named after the Memphis Blues. You know, the Blues were founded right here in Memphis, and they gave birth to rock and roll, which kind of forever changed society. And so we thought that was pretty cool to pay homage to that really cool historical event and uh the historical significance that blues music has played on, on culture. We wanted to come up with a name that was quintessentially Memphis that had, you know, important uh, 
historical connotations. Uh, the blue note in music is actually a real music note, um, which is pretty cool because it's, it's actually the musical note that makes blues and also jazz unique genres of music. Um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with the, with the nose and the tasting notes there. You're going to get vanilla, uh, allspice, a lot of oak, and you're going to get even some pear and apricot on our blue note juke joint. We have two versions of blue note, or really three. We have our blue note juke joint, which is our most cost friendly version that's going to retail for about $29 a bottle. Then we have our blue note premium small batch, which is nine years old. That's going to retail for about $50 a bottle. And then we also have our blue note single barrel reserve, which is a 10 year old that uh, will retail for about $60 a bottle. But the one thing consistent across all three, and that's the finish, which as we say is smoother than smooth. Yes. Everyone that's listening, very smooth whiskey. Um, Every, the price points that he just said are great. They are great. They are fair for that style of whiskey. So please pick some up as it's in everybody's, but it's a, it's a whiskey in everybody's budget. You know, um, the working class man can get it. Uh, my dad is way more successful than me. And like he drinks it, he could be drinking way more <laughs> expensive stuff and he finds it very approachable and, and he loves it. And, uh, like I said, the river said rye, it definitely caught me off our, um, Mr. Williams, because it was so smooth. When you hear rye whiskey, you don't think this smooth. And even though it's right there on the package, oh, it's smooth, it's smoother than smooth. I was still hesitant. And when I took that sip, oh, my goodness. Shout out to the Bluff City. Well, I appreciate it. You know, part of the reason why our whiskey is so smooth is because we do age it right along the banks of the Mississippi River in the Delta. And it's so hot and humid that our barrels of whiskey are cooked low and slow, just like we cook our barbecue down here. There's something about that combination of heat, that low and slow combination that really brings out the rich notes of the oak and the vanilla and then allows the whiskeys to open up and go their different ways, whether it be pear, apricot, and blue note, or more uh, apple cinnamon with river set. Also, we have a really amazing water source in Memphis. No, we don't get our water from the Mississippi River. There's actually a million-year-old artesian well system several miles below Shelby County where Memphis sits. And so we have million-year-old water that the city uses. The Memphis actually has some of the purest water in the country, and that water has really low mineral content, and that really makes uh, making beer or whiskey really easy here in Memphis. Uh, and that's part of why our whiskey is so smooth is because we have that great heat and humidity for the aging process and then great water for the manufacturing and blending process. And I'm sure those bur- those uh, barrels are just loving that inconsistency of hot to cold to steam. And I'm just... Absolutely. Man, I know a little something. I know a little something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you do. Yeah, I do. Uh, but like I say, um, I love the fact that, uh, like I say, I'm a brewer and it's, it the opportunity for African Americans to be brewing. I'm blessed. I don't take it. Uh, I don't take it lightly. So, like I said, when I looked on the Instagram and I saw a young man, uh, learning the distillery business and learn I already fell in love with Memphis. I already like I've been through Stax Records. I've been through the Mississippi 
uh, River Turns. I've been, though, I'm trying to find Penny Hardaway, you know, <laughs> like, but to look on that Instagram and see another brother learning the whiskey industry, it was amazing. And it made me want to uh, reach out to you guys and, and buy your product. And once I've discovered your product, I wanted to reach out to you and work with you and collab with you. And that really means a lot. All the way, you just don't know. From Memphis, Tennessee, or a couple miles north from downtown, you've really affected a, a young man all the way in downtown Chicago. Um, the stat, like, well, I appreciate that, and it's something we we want to get even better at. Memphis, you know, is a very diverse city. Actually, very the city's diverse. majority. We're actually one of the few cities. I mean, there are a number in the southeast, in particular, but one of the few cities in the country that has a majority. African American, um, and to your point, um, I think that you're insinuating is the whiskey business. You know, most people think of bourbon, think of Central Tennessee, Jack Daniels, and think of Central Kentucky, and it is, uh, for better or worse, predominantly a white male-dominated industry. And we're trying to change that slowly but surely. And so, not only do we have uh, several African Americans on our team, both in production as well as marketing. Uh, the gentleman who designed our labels and our logos and everything um, is a great friend of mine, Chris Porter, here in town. Who is in, he runs his own creative uh, agency called Creative Punch, and he's African-American, a Memphis guy, actually born in Jackson, Mississippi, but a transplant to Memphis. We also are um, trying to be inclusive, too, on the gender spectrum. Uh, we have a number of ladies that work with us, and right. we think, you know, whiskey is also predominantly a male-dominated industry and we want to change that i mean over 50 percent of our nation's population are women and we want to get them included in not only the production and design side of whiskey making and uh packaging but also on the consumption side we're seeing uh females uh consume more and more whiskey uh, than ever before oh yes oh yes you um trust me you go to the bar and like Hey, can I buy you ladies a drink? And you're thinking they want like a, a white cloth, something. They're going to come back like, give me some bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we hope that trend continues because that hopefully will just mean more sales for everybody. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you for talking about your great whiskeys. Thank you for hiring. Thank you for hiring the best person for the job, whether they be a woman whether they be African-American, whether they be short, whether they be tall, because you're putting out a great product. And like everybody says, their whiskey is smooth, but yours is, what do you say, smoother than smooth? Exactly. It's smoother than smooth. Smooth. Like, I really appreciate it. You know, we're just getting started on our journey, and uh, we hope to one day build these brands into national brands. So hopefully we'll have the opportunity to employ quite a few more folks. I can't wait to get back down there. I can't wait to get back down to the bluff. Can't wait to get a couple miles north of downtown <laughs> to come sip some Riverside Rye and some Blue Nut Bourbon. Um, I, hey, I love your swag too. Who's in? Who's in? Like, like you guys' swag is simple. It's classic. It's southern. Like the Blue Nut. I, I wear my Riverside Rye hat all the time. I appreciate that. That's Nora and Chris. They're, uh, Nora Boone, our marketing director, has a great touch uh, when it comes to design as well. 
Uh, well, hey, next time you're in town, we'll have some barbecue and some bourbon waiting on you. I look forward to it, Mr. Williams. Hey, everybody, Riverset Rye, about $29.99. Blue Note Bourbon, the juke joint. We're going to start you off $29.99. We're going to go up from there. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for your hiring process. Thank you for passing the drink. Appreciate it, y'all. Thanks for having me. Take care. What's up, man? I love the fucking brother thing. Like that, uh, that post you have, like, yo, while K was doing this, <laughs> D was doing this. <laughs> and I just love how the, uh, each one of you took a different route as far as the industry, but it was so important that it came together that, um, which make, which makes wise acre, like the standout brand of your city. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we were, uh, or I should say when Kellen was having the ideas of us, uh, starting a brewery, it was, a uh, it was a very different time in, uh, breweries and brewery openings in the U S and, uh, we just we looked at it in a different way than I think some people look at it uh, in the past several years because it was a pretty far fetched idea to uh, open a brewery. You know, it seemed like uh, you know there were more people uh, getting into the NBA every year than there were people opening breweries. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it 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 seemed like uh, you know something that that we would want to take a long time on figuring out how to do it the right way. You're definitely doing it the right way, that way. And your success has led to the opening of a second tap room. And which it holds, is it a Guinness World's record? For what? <laughs> for the cuckoo clock, learn? man. For the non-functioning <laughs> cuckoo clock. It's the largest non-functioning cuckoo clock? Yes. It's definitely the world's largest non-functioning cuckoo uh, world, <laughs> I, lo- I love that shit, man. Like, that's some funny thing. <laughs> but you got, yeah, a, you got a second tap room going, so you're selling a lot of Tiny Bomb, huh? Yeah, and it's really more, you know, it's a second, a second production facility, and that distinction, I think, matters a lot to us, and I know a lot of places have multiple tap rooms now, but we really our, you know, heroes were production breweries, you know, back in 2005, 2006, I guess, whenever we were like, we should start a brewery one day. What does that mean? And we looked up to people that, I mean, everyone looks up to, but um, that's really what we, what we learned how to do. And the tap room almost came as a surprise to us. Uh, it was the first tap room in the city of Memphis to open when it did about seven years ago. But David and I worked every ship behind the bar for a couple months and we just kind of thought we'd close at eight. That's all that we really wanted to do. And people were excited about it, which is a good thing. Um, in terms of production, we reached our full capacity in 2016. So almost four years ago, we, we had nothing else that we could do in our original location. We were making 20,000 barrels a year for about four years in a row. And, um, we had opportunity to keep going. And so we, here we are opening a new facility in the middle of a pandemic. I saw that. And as far as, I, <laughs> so as far, so you're getting people, look, I look at it like this, bro. You're opening up a new facility. So that means more jobs. And like you say, Memphis is more black than white. So 
you should be able to hire the best person for the best position. Meaning the numbers should reflect that. So let's talk about your diversity, your diversity in your brewery. And and believe me, I sent my spies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it isn't a total reflection of, of people in the city right now, and it's something that we want to be more intentional about. I think, you know, when we opened, our um, our first full-time hire um, was a person of color, and I, and I say that um, because he, he says that he's, he's brown. Um, but that was our first full-time hire. I think, you know, over the course of us being open, uh, we had – maybe six or uh, six or seven African-American employees and some have kind of come and gone for different reasons. We just had Brandon hit his uh, two year mark um, with us and he's someone who lives in the neighborhood where the, the first facility opened up and walked up and knocked on the door and he's been awesome since then. Um, so I think out of, you know, right now we got about 25 full-time employees around there. Um, it hasn't been a full reflection of, you know, the city in terms of, 60% African-American and 40% white. I think early on, you know, when you're we're trying to grow a business, we're just, you know, people are walking in, they're saying, hey, I want a job. And we're, we're not like we're just dishing out jobs, but, you know, some of them were people that moved to Memphis from Montana, from Chicago, from New York City, that saw, you know, Isaac were growing and said, hey, I want to be a part of that. Um, and so it, you look back on things, not that, you know, we didn't have control of the ship, but like you look back at a certain point, especially maybe now where we're able to like kind of draw a line in the sand that we have this new facility. It's like, man, look at what happened. It was kind of crazy. Um, and I think we did some things good. And we did other things that we think, you know, here's where we need to improve. Um, and I think that's where we are when it comes to hiring and diversity. We've, um, we've, we've made some, some good decisions there and some other ways we haven't been intentional enough about, about the people that we have um, working for us in terms of like, like I have a friend that lives in Memphis and she drinks at your place and she drink like, that's the, that's the beautiful thing about Memphis. Like I love that. It's only so many breweries. So it's like, I live in Chicago and we are like, we probably, like, yo, this is probably a brewery opening up in, like, two seconds from now. And it's dog eat dog. You guys, is only so many breweries, so it means you got to make good beer. Because can nobody come in flash in the pants you or open up uh, uh, the hot new brewery? You got to make good beer in Memphis, Tennessee. And you guys make great beer. Like, I wouldn't have you on if you did. So, great beer. And the and then like you say, this wheat, the tiny bomb, is amazing. Thanks. I, Dave and probably talking about tiny bomb. It's his little princess, as he likes to call it. But just to, to brag on the beer, it won a bronze at the Great American Beer Festival. I think the first year we were open. Hold on, hold on, and, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have a segment. What? And my show called Talk Yo Shit. If you want an award, 
If you feel that your beer is the best of a certain style, you repeat it. So go ahead. What did you win and what did you win it for? Yeah, I'm, I'll go ahead and puff out our chest. And really, I feel like I'm, I'm bragging on my brother since he's uh, the one in charge of making all the beer. But we won a bronze at the, the Great American Beer Festival for German Pilsner. Um, you know, German Pilsners have a little more bitterness, a little more hop character than mm-hmm. Czech Pilsners do. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the number eight selling craft Pilsner in the entire country. It is the number one uh, selling craft beer made in Tennessee. Um, and we're super proud of that. It's, you know, we're in nine states. So to be the number eight selling craft Pilsner in the country when you're competing against some breweries that, you know, sell Pilsner in 50 states, um, that gives us a whole lot of, a lot of pride. And I'll let David talk about the beer itself and how it's made and what, why Memphis makes it special. Come on D. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea for the beer, uh, you know, I would always, I, so I brewed at the, the rock bottom, um, on Grand and State, which uh, you've probably been to once or twice. <laughs> you uh, know, you know, I got friends. You know, I got friends. You know, I know Pete Crowley, man. <laughs> yeah. So I, I um, you know, brewing down there, I would always go up to the bar and, and ask people what they were drinking and why. Um, I mean, it was fun for me to just to try to get, uh, try to get into people's heads and figure out why they're doing what they're doing. Um, but you know, a lot of people, especially uh, you know, you talk out of towners or people that were just uh, you know, just there for a bite to eat or whatever. And a lot of people, uh, you know, they, there are people that normally drink Bud Light, which, uh, which is okay. Um, shout but out, it shout always, out. shout out to it, <laughs> it always, it always struck me, uh, as strange that people wouldn't want something not just more flavorful, but, um, you know, people, the reason why people drink Bud Light, no one's ever like, I drink this because it's delicious. No one's ever said that. Like, people drink Bud Light because, uh, and this is from their mouths, you know, know, it's not very filling. There's not a lot of alcohol. I can have a couple of them. Um, So I started thinking, you know, there's got to be a way for, uh, you know, for me to make something that kind of, it it hits the same specs that that Bud Light does, Mm -hmm. um, but has a whole lot more flavor. So, and that's where the, the title of the beer comes from too, because it's uh, you know tiny flavor, uh, tiny alcohol, tiny calorie flavor bomb. Uh, so you know I, I set out uh, experimenting to sort of figure out how to how to make a beer that that hit the same spec um, but had a lot more flavor. Um, and I, I made a lot of uh, a lot of pilsners, and these are you know tiny bombs a four and a half percent alcohol beer, so it's it's definitely on the lighter side of German pilsner, which um, you know, those are usually 5%, you know, low 5% beers. Um, so I worked on it for a long time in Chicago and, and the very first time I brewed it in Memphis, it was the best, uh, the best version of I, I had ever made. What'd you like um, about my city? About Chicago? Yeah. Man, Chicago. It, I mean, if, if I wasn't living in Memphis right now, I'd be back in Chicago. If I wasn't living uh, in Chicago, I'd be living in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like a program. I like, like yeah. straight up. Like, look, you got the Soul Fish Cafe. You got Stacks Records. You got Tiny Bomb. You got, you got my, you got my homies up like four miles north of downtown at Big River Distilling. You guys got everything. You got, you got the Memphis Tigers. You got everything. So, 
Tiny bomb. Yeah. And, so people, and it's it's probably it's, people in Memphis that's listening right now that never heard this original story of why the number one beer in their city is called Tiny Bomb. Yeah, and the reason, the reason why it's the best I'd ever made uh, was because the water in Memphis is uh, so, so soft. Um, there's almost no mineral content at all in the, in the water in Memphis. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Which, I just, allows you to make just super clean, super clean lagers. Hey, go ahead and repeat that. Start over. Like what? Why, why it was uh, clean? It was muffled for a second. Yeah, it was kind of muffled. D. Yeah. Oh, I mean, <clears throat> so the you know the reason why um, is because Memphis has such uh, unbelievably clean, mineral-free water. So it allows you to make uh, very, very crisp, very drinkable lagers. Which is you know that's why it was. Uh, the best version of, of Tiny Bomb that I ever made was the first one that I made in, in Memphis. So you took you took all that Chicago work and and you and you got glorified in Memphis. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I moved up to Chicago to go to the to go to Siebel, um, okay. during school, and uh, you know when I moved up there to uh, start brewing school, there were three breweries in Chicago, which um, is kind of a crazy story to tell these days because it, it wasn't even that long ago. But, right. This, you know, this happens was, quick. Right. It was, you know, Goose Island, Rock Bottom, and Peace, and that was it. Shout out to Goose. Um, and Half Acre and uh, Metropolitan opened uh, not long after that, um, and then it was kind of just uh, a revolving door after that. Um, yeah, it but, was like but, it was like they were popping up Everywhere, everywhere. Right. Like I live two blocks away from a brewery that opened up within like a year ago. So yeah, but it, 2000 and I guess 2007 to 2013 were uh, those are some some wild years for me in Chicago. Oh, but well, one of the cool things too when when David was there, like he mentioned Half Acre and. Um, Tim that started out as a brewer at Salamos, Andrew Mason at Three Floyds, and Jared Rubin that was a, a goose, and now he's at uh, Moody Tongue. Uh, Laffler who was a goose, and now he's you know started off color. They had this they had this incredible you know relationship and you know kind of like competitive friendship. Like they all admire each other so much, but but nobody wanted to mimic what anybody else did. They all kind of found like their little grooves where Jared, you know, does the food beers and, um, David's kind of branched towards like, like loggers. And they all like really had this good camaraderie that I think as there've been so many more breweries that have popped up in our industry, we're like, we're friends with everybody in Memphis, but it's hard to like replicate that relationship that they have with each other just because there's not enough time. And like going to visit David when I was, you know, working out West, they had the, this, this like the coolest thing. Like they were all best friends. They all respected and loved what each other did. And they all wanted to like best each other, but by doing something different. Uh, uh, that can, was, I think, a huge part of David's formation as a brewer. If you're listening, if you're from Memphis, if you're from Chicago, if you're white, you're black, you're old, this crab beer thing, we really create relationships with one another. Like it's nothing to, hey, I know P. Crowley. P. Crowley gave me a shot here, and then like you connect with Wiseacre and stuff like that. So, like I I brewed a beer at Haymarket. 
and you guys have a very strong connection with uh, Haymarket. Uh, you want to talk about that? Because this kind of reflects about how <clears throat> strong and how connected the craft beer industry is. He's the godfather. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I think the, the story of me starting to work at Haymarket, I mean, at, at Rock Bottom with Pete is, uh, is hilarious um, because I had just gotten out of brewing school and I was, I was pretty sure I was going to have to move um, because there, there weren't really brewing jobs in Chicago. Um, and I went, I went down to rock bottom to meet with Pete and, uh, I was kind of, I wasn't sure how, how brewery job interviews go. I mean, I had done some other free, some free labor at some other breweries, but Hmm. I walked in there, you know, in a nice shirt in slack and I gave Pete my resume. He probably laughed at you. He immediately crumbled it up and threw it in the trash. Yeah, like, that, like, that's the page. That's the Pedro I know. Didn't even didn't even look at it. Um, and <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, man, I don't know if this is good or bad. <laughs> this is either going to work out just fine, or uh, I got fired before I even started working. Um, but we got along really, really well, and uh, I ended up working there for about two weeks, um, and then finally Pete was like. Yeah, I think I think you got the job. Um, so <laughs> I had a good a good two week run where uh, I wasn't really sure if I had a job. I mean, I got paid for it, but no one told me that I got hired. That so is I just, that's crazy. I, I work with a um, <laughs> I work with a brewer. He's an amazing brewer. I ain't even gonna mention his name because like I mention his name all the time on the podcast. But he went to Siebel too, and for you guys to spend all that money and time and learn all that and then come to an industry um like like to come back and work for like you work you you for pizza and and growlers and stuff like that it's amazing so you really got to be oh, yeah. dedicated and you got to love this shit yeah i i got i got nine dollars and 90 cents an hour um which you know, to anybody that lives in Chicago right now, they'll tell you that's uh, that's not going to get you very far. <laughs> you know how much my <laughs> Uber was to get like six blocks down the damn street. <laughs> Double that nine dollars. Where I mean, Pete, you know, is David's mentor in a ton of ways, and David got all that theoretical knowledge in school. You know, he had the book smart part, but like, you know, when you finish med school you don't get just to go do heart surgery like you go to residency and you mm-hmm. go learn under somebody and i don't know that anybody ever like told the two of us that we needed to get mentors i don't maybe our dad told us that i don't know but we both like just had really good bosses and like david totally could have gotten out of brewing school and gone to work for like a terrible brewer who taught him bad habits and you know let things get dirty and you know that would have greatly affected Wiseacre, you know, honestly. And, but he didn't, he had Pete who like is fun and, you know, laughable. as like, he is to, to be around. Like that dude is super serious about making amazing beer. Um, and, you know, and then you have fun afterwards and that's where, I mean, so David, he picked up all that stuff from, from being, being with Pete and getting to work for Pete. So it's, it worked forever grateful his, his name is up on the wall in 
That's yeah, and I mean, the guy had, I mean, 13 years of experience before I even met him. So I basically, I got 13 years of experience in two years just by hanging around him for, <laughs> just by wearing next to him for, for those years. Sounds like you guys need to drive up here and come visit Pete and me, and we and Rides need to come back once he recovers from <laughs> hiking through the Smoky Mountains. And stuff. He he right. like he tried to get all like fancy and stuff on us and shit. But coming back around, man, I'm think I'm on my second Tiny Bomb already. No, is this that's, two or three? This is three. Oh man, <laughs> this is three. Let me wiseacre. Please tell me about that second tap room. Please tell me about this. I had a, uh, I have a, uh, a friend, associate, another craft beer blogger, and she went down and she came to your soft opening, and she, she was blown away. Who was it? I'm not telling you. <laughs> got, what else what did i start with i got spies bro tell me your sources no I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, no i'm gonna have her reach out to you okay um she came to your soft well, opening we, look she came to your soft opening she bought beers and she was she she was there she was she took great pictures of the cuckoo the non what's that the world's Largest non-functioning cuckoo clock you guys got down there. <laughs> Look at both start laughing like kids. <laughs> well, the whole thing's silly, man, and that's what I love about it. I mean, we're you know our tap room on at our first location. I love it's still kind of like like a garage party in a way, like all the time, which I, I think is great. Um, you know, like lo-fi and our, our grandmother's like actual cuckoo clock is up on the wall there. Oh, um, that's you know, real size, but, but it's kind of like you know art from our beers up on the wall, and it's fun. I think it feels feels homey and fun. There's a lot of like handmade, like our friends. You know, we all put it up together type stuff. And we wanted downtown to be different. The the new location is what I'm getting at. So uh, Rachel Briggs that does all the art for us. She's like our sister. I mean, just to make it all um, familial at this point, she's you know, a great friend and an incredible artist. Like she did Chuck Berry's last album cover. Like she, that's how good she is. Ooh. She does the art for our hands. And so we have all, it's like a super art inspired place. And there's all this kind of weird um, 3D art installs that are happening. And there's this, you know, giant cat by cloud thing that's over, over the taps. We got the largest non-functioning cuckoo clock. Um, there's going to be like little busts, like statues of people that are out in the beer garden. Um, people like Ida who? B. Wells. Oh yeah, because Ida, Ida B. B. Wells. Ooh, come on, keep coming. She she's going up. So some Memphis connections, some not. Ida B. Wells, she's Memphis and Chicago. Yes, she is. Um, Alton Brown, one of one of Dave Tiro's kind of food science guy that you know taught Dave like the science behind flavors, kind of before brewing school. Uh, Robert Reed Church who was the South's first black millionaire and helped bail Memphis um, out of some financial issues. Yeah, um, I heard. A long I, time ago. I learned about that on the Mississippi River Tour. Uh, I took the Mississippi River Tour. I do not know the host name, but it's an African-American man. And he, man, I'm telling you, I'm thinking I'm taking the Mississippi River Tour. I'm be bored. <laughs> I learned so much. 
You guys have a yeah, he's one of those. He's like, a, you know, this amazing man from Memphis that, you know, a lot of people might not know about. Um, these days there's a book out right now called Beale Street Dynasty that talks a lot about um, his life and, and legacy, which is cool. So we wanted, um, you know, the statues to have some good representation and, and people that we've admired for, for you know, any number of reasons. Um, William Blake, who was like a, British poet that I wrote my high school term paper on is another one. He's just like, it, you know, there's not, he doesn't have any significance to Memphis. He's just like, a, you know, a personal just, hero, creative. Just someone who inspired guy. you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so th- those will be going up outside. And then there's this huge, like, um, all seeing eye thing that's going to go up in the northwest corner of the building that's, that's not up yet. So, we figured when something's brand new, like this building, it doesn't have things that are brand new don't have a lot of character. So we figured let's just get weird. Yeah, and, just get weird and let the and let and let the character come to you. Um, yeah. Speaking of coming to you, I'm coming to you soon. Rise just left. He was just on some trying to get all. I don't know what what were you trying to do, Rise? Like just. Just enjoy. Just get back to the mountains. <laughs> he wanted to get back He's to trying the to go mountains. To <laughs> but <laughs> I think I'm on like three and a half. Shout tiny. out to Pigeon Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm on three and a half tiny bombs right now. It's a great Pilsner. I love the fact that this is the Pilsner that's winning so many awards. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let my spy come to you guys. Uh, I love the fact that this, that you are connected so closely to uh, to Haymarket, and they gave me an opportunity to brew a great beer called Harold's Eighty Three Honey Ale, and I just love the fact that you take so much pride in the flagship beer. You know, people come on, they want to talk about, oh, I got like a seven, seven barrel age stout and I got like this beer with all these crazy adjuncts. And I understand, like I got one of your styles at home. The shouts out to Mike Gemma. He gave me one of your guys' stouts. But I just, I just love the fact that having pride in, Afri- having pride in, a flagship beer. Yeah, we always joke about it, you know, because Tiny Bomb, like, you know, it can be analyzed and sniffed and all the stuff that, you know, it should be done for beers, but also, like, you can shotgun it. And I think, you know, like, with food, people eat a lot of pizza and they eat a lot of, like, burgers. You know, you don't eat, like, extreme food, you know, really spicy stuff, like, all the time or really, you know, heavy, rich stuff all the time. I feel like with beer, like there's some notion that it has to be challenging to be good. And I think, you know, time I'm challenging to make something that's that delicate, but like, like I said earlier, you can just shotgun it and that's, and that's fine. And it's just kind of like, you know, like really good pizza might be the best meal you've ever had. And just like tiny bomb is an incredible version of a pretty simple style of beer. And it's just something that, I always want to drink. I'm not always in the mood, you know, for a barrel aged Imperial stout. I'm not always in the mood for, 
you know, triple IPA or whatever, but I'm pretty much always in the mood for Tiny Bomb, so it works. Um, it's funny that you said um, Half Acre. This bo- this Tiny Bomb reminds me of Pony Pilsner in a, in a way that it's just good and it's just like, yo, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. And so, Wiseacre, Tiny Bomb, award winning. Yeah, they, uh, Chicago, pick it up. Trader Joe's, it's right there. Get the six pack, Joe. Yeah, Benny's, Trader Joe's, we're we're all we're all around town there. Um, in parts, you guys got a, a ton of great breweries up there. So it's you know it's one of those things where we sell beer in Philadelphia and Atlanta. It's it's hard to like to win in massive ways outside of your hometown. But I think if you make really good beer, like my brother and the rest of our team does, it'll, it'll find its way onto, onto some shelves. I get asked that question all the time. And I'm sure in the last month or two, you've been asked, how do black people get into the craft beer world? And how can we get more craft beer? Like how can we bring it more to the black people? And African Americans or people that's just been shut out, like just make good beer. That's what I say all the time. Just make good beer. If you make good beer, African Americans will come to the tap room. They'll be like, "Hey, I'm tired of drinking uh, Miller Lite. I've been hearing about Tiny Bomb. I've been seeing it around the city. I want to try one, and I want to try it on draft, and I want to see these these cool like." I want to dress in cool ass beer socks and fucking great ass <laughs> fucking purple fucking wiseacre t-shirts and stuff too. Like, I don't know if you knew my story, but I fell in love with the community before I fell in love with the beer. So like, I would be a guy at that second tap room. I'd be buying those, t- that yellow tiny bomb hat that you're going to send me. And, <laughs> and I would just be hanging out and like, and like, and like Davin said, the greatest joy a brewer can have is getting off work, coming on the other side of that bar and having someone drink their beer and asking them about it without them knowing you're the brewer. And I think that's going to happen with a lot of African-Americans coming to your brewery soon. I know it. Hey, I want to thank you for coming on. Listen to my Memphis edition, Bluff City, Dolly Parton Bridge edition podcast. I want to thank Mr. McCauley for coming on, talking about his beautiful and smooth whiskey. I want to talk. I want to thank Wiseacre for coming on, talking about their beers and their hiring processes and their art that's going on. And I just want to thank the city of Memphis accepting a Chicago brother and I'm and I am supporting you guys. Now, if you want to support me, check it out. You want to keep this craft beers talking, hit the link in my podcast on the brother at the bar, hit the click link in the bio, but check it out. $5 a month. You keep me talking and we get to talk about cool craft beers, $10 a month. I'm going to mail you some swag t-shirts, pins, glasses, 
uh, sunglasses. I'm going to pick something out. I'm going to mail it to you. I'm going to make sure it's well worth 40, 50 bucks. And for $25 a month, check it out. Me and Rods is going to pick a brewery somewhere and we're going to socially distance and we're going to share a beer and we're going to talk shit live and uncut. Thank you for listening to Pass the Drink podcast. This is Sam Ross, the brother at the bar. Pass the drink.